So it's not a matter of investing in, you know, nice people or kind projects or, uh, you know, things that look good, but it's a matter of investing into what can have the, the biggest impact um, on lives, on the lives of animals worldwide. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saver. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show. My name is Jerry Saver and in this podcast, I talk to people who are showing us how we can make our future more sustainable and less dependent on animal-based products. This means that every week I sit down with people from all across the plant-based sector, from founders, business owners, and investors, to inventors, content creators, social influencers, and outliers, bring you their stories and their views on business so you can learn how they got to where they are, what works and what is happening in the industry, and find inspiration, both for your work and your personal life. Now, before we begin, I just want to thank everyone who's joining the insider list on our website, theplantbasedentrepreneur.com, and for all your likes and comments on our Instagram channel. That's at Jerry underscore Sever. That's S-E-V-E-R. And I really want to thank everyone who's subscribing to the show on iTunes. If you enjoy what you're about to hear, I would love for you to leave us a review there as well. Now, with that said, let's get into the interview. My guest today is Sebastiano Cosia Castiglione. And for me, he, he just embodies one of the best ways to move things forward. You see, he's not someone that you would normally find on social media or you, you wouldn't even read about him very often. But he's an international businessman. He's a respected winemaker and art dealer and a business consultant. And he's been vegan for over 30 years. So he spent the past three decades working to promote plant-based businesses and initiatives. He's an investor in companies like Beyond Meat and Lighter. And he's also on the board for of advisors for Sea Shepherd. So I'm really happy for this opportunity to talk with him today and give you a better view of everything that he does. Sebastiano, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jerry. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity and, and thank you for the very kind introduction. Um, just just to be to be very exact, I've, I've been um, a vegetarian since I was 15 years old. Uh, so that's that's over 35 years old and I've been completely vegan uh, for the past five years. Ah, okay. Well, but mostly plant-based for over three decades. So oh, I, I wasn't that yeah, far off. It's always 95% vegan. Yeah, that's for sure. But, you know, 100% vegan just in the, in the last few years. But and, in, in any case, you know, I'm, I'm really honored to have you here because, uh, like I said, I, I believe you're in a great position to make a tremendous impact well you are making a tremendous impact so it's it's great to be talking to you about how and, and what you're doing well that's that's very kind of you and and um i i share your enthusiasm for uh the time we live in where uh, plant-based initiatives and and plant-based philosophy and plant-based activism is uh, becoming so prominent and finally uh, gaining the universal acceptance we've been hoping for for many years. And um, it's fascinating to see that, and of course, this is what is making it particularly successful, that it's now approached from so many different points of view. Uh, and uh, of course, the main trigger nowadays is that some people who do not share our philosophy figured out that uh, there's a lot of money to be made in a plant-based world. So um, this this has really changed the scenario in the past few years, and and the and the the progress we are making is accelerating at incredible speed because of this as well. And so um, you know when when you mention my my involvement in all these many things, um, I would like to say from the very beginning that my motivation behind being plant based is mainly the animals it's mainly uh you know the well-being and and the life and and 
and not making animals suffer, which has guided my entire life since I was a teenager. Um, and of course, uh, you know, a plant-based philosophy and a plant-based approach has universal benefits for everyone, for the environment, uh, for the planet, for the animals, for humans, for health and this and that. But my guiding principle is uh, the welfare of animals and the life of animals and, uh, and everything else follows. I would like that to be very clear because, you know, the, there are so many approaches nowadays and I personally have met people who are in this universe simply to make money. And that's not that's not what moves me. Yeah, I, I totally understand. And, you know, I, I wouldn't think for, for a second that you would be in this for as long as you've been if it was just for the money. But since you are mentioning your reasons, um, do you mind if we just take it back a little bit and, and you talk about how you actually got to, to veganism as a teenager? Oh, sure. What was it that um, moved you? Very simply, I was in the subway one day and there was a little table and they were distributing leaflets about animal experimentation. And I, I picked up some, I went home, started reading and decided that this was ethically absolutely unjustifiable and from that derived i went i became vegetarian overnight and from that came uh everything else so it was really a chance encounter with uh you know the the being shown and and being ex told how animals suffer and so, so my, but it wasn't it wasn't um, animals for food it was a brochure it was on an experiments yes mm -hmm. it, was, it was an anti-vivisection um, leaflets and and uh, and uh, and other documentation, but what what was triggered in me was the clear consciousness that I did you know if I had to make a choice and decided you know this was ethical or not I had no doubt whatsoever, and of course the more you read the more you understand that the suffering of animals takes many forms and shapes and is and is ingrained in our society in in so many ways. And naturally, it, it became uh, a passion for me. So I immediately started participating in anti-hunting actions, uh, which is the root of my of my passion for Sea Shepherd as well. And uh, of course, and you know, any kind of initiative and demonstration against animal experimentation, but on an individual basis, uh, of course, the choice of of uh, you know foregoing. Um, animal products of all kinds and um, and then of course becoming active in promoting this point of view what um what changed in um you know and i think this is the case with with most people i know in this field is that initially as as a teenager and as a young person you tend to participate in direct action and later on you try to understand how you can influence the world in a different way. And, 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 and um, I would like to underline that I think that every approach makes sense and every approach is valuable. So um, I became uh, a vegetarian and then vegan and then an animal rights uh, activist because someone was distributing leaflets in the street about animal experimentation. Exactly. So everything is important. Every, every, you know, every hour spent by an activist doing demonstrations or, or writing emails or, or doing anything is, is useful. And, uh, but of course, there are so many ways that we can uh, work on this and, and participate in changing the world. And um, later in life, I figured out, well, first of all, as, as I, um, you know, grew up and became an adult and became an entrepreneur in many fields, uh, I made two choices. One was to make sure that every business I was involved in was informed by my view of things. So no compromise on, on what I was doing and how my businesses were to conduct in terms of animal suffering. And the second thing that I that I found out was that I could uh, put the money that I made through my businesses to good use by financing um, animal protection organizations or animal rights organizations. So it's worth mentioning my my uh, all time favorites, uh, Mercy for Animals and Farm Sanctuary and PETA and uh, 
and of course Sea Shepherd, which is which is a fantastic organization. Um, and the 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 next stage, um, which I was brought to by, I, I'm sure you've you've read Tom Reagan, and everybody knows who he is. I mean, the the founding philosopher of of the animal rights uh, movement. Um, which many consider to consider to be Peter Singer, but I don't. I think Tom Reagan is is more is much closer to my my personal view of things. Um, uh, Tom Reagan was one of the influencing figures in my life, and I, I, I immediately as a teenager I started reading all of the all of the texts. But um, I had the luck of meeting Tom Reagan personally, and and he was uh, and he is a fantastic figure. He is a he is a professor. He's a teacher. He is a uh, he's an educator, and and uh, through his ideas and his wonderful way of putting and presenting his ideas, he convinces entire convince entire generations of people uh, to look at what we do to animals and to consider their suffering and making it part of the equation and, and uh, that that was that that was starting back in the early 80s in, in italy in my right? 20 yes absolutely well italy has always had a pretty strong uh, animal rights movement but you're right in the 80s it became more visible uh and uh, and that's when tom reagan and peter singer as well came to italy to give uh, to hold conferences and debates and this and that and yes it was the it was the beginning of of the movement um the what i wanted to say is that the, apart from donating to animal rights organizations what i found later on was that um there are other ways to impact this world and one is to create or support businesses that change the world and are not Nonprofit organization, nonprofit organization, but um, are uh, businesses that make money and and produce things and sell things and and uh, the impact that these have is also extremely remarkable. And the synergy between all the approaches, you know, someone distributing leaflets on a corner and then or animal rights organization, uh, you know, supporting a new legislation. And, and bringing to uh, the knowledge of the media and everybody else uh, the horrors of the animal factories. And then someone uh, inventing, producing, and distributing products that replace animal products all together creates a big change. And I think we, we are lucky enough to live in a time where this is becoming an unstoppable revolution. Yeah, the, the amount of information, the ease of spreading information is just making everything so much more connected in in this way as well because Absolutely. now a, a person like you has it a lot easier to to be working with all those parts and all those parts have it a lot easier to to be working together so yeah Absolutely. you're right that, that is right and um so what what I really wanted to know was um, I, I mentioned Italy. How did that? I mean, I, I grew up next to Italy. I know that the food culture in Italy is um, it's very strong. Um, Italians are normally very passionate about food. So, how did your vegetarianism go along with with that? Well, we Italians certainly are passionate about food, but. Um... We're lucky enough to have the most vegetable-centered uh, cuisine in the world. Uh, there isn't a single place in Italy where a vegan uh, wouldn't find a perfect meal without having to negotiate or insist or, or suffer. So I, I was lucky enough to grow up in a, in a culture that, uh, you know, is it's especially keen on, on, uh, on uh, accommodating everybody's needs. So the big difference between a French restaurant and an Italian restaurant is that uh, in a French restaurant, if you ask for anything different, they will, you know, look at you as if you were a piece of garbage. And in an Italian restaurant, they will be happy to make you to, you know, if you have a wonderful meal and and you're satisfied. <laughs> so that's the that's a very lucky situation to to grow up in. 
Yeah, and speaking of growing up, like I, I just have to mention it. Um, even though you said that we could talk about this for for ten hours, Querce Vela, your yes. um, your wine company that that's been in the family for for generations, right? Well, that was founded by my father in the seventies. He was a passionate wine collector and uh, and wanted to create his own wines and as a hobby because he was working in uh, in Latin America and and was in Europe every once in a while. As a hobby, he started this winery uh, with just one hectare of vines and a small cellar, and then uh, the, the the winery grew. and And nowadays, um, it's uh, in excess of 260 acres. I don't know if you think in acres of hect or hectares. Anyway, it's over 105 hectares and over 260 acres of biodynamic uh, vineyards. And uh, I took over in the 90s when he became ill and asked me to to look after his vineyard and and I too was was in, and I am involved in many other businesses so this is not my number one occupation but it's certainly been a great passion and uh, what I did was um, bring my point of view to the winery as well. So of course we revised all the techniques, not only to make it organic, but also to make it vegan 100%. Uh, and uh, it's not too hard. It's it's actually something that all wineries should do anyway, because it's, it doesn't require any, any big effort. But um, I remember uh, forcing my winemakers to use products for fining. I don't know if you, do you know what fining is? wine fining uh you mean the clarification process that's, that's right that's exactly yeah. right and um so the products that are used normally for for this process in which you remove the largest particles from from the wine to make it uh uh clear um are egg whites and in worst cases uh ox blood or uh derivatives of fish bladder which are all horrible so the problem in, in winemaking is that only a few substances are allowed and all the other ones are banned. So for years, we were illegally using substances that then became mainstream and are now, and are now allowed, uh, you know, such as, um, such as certain um, seaweed derivatives and some other products that you use for clarification work much better, of course, than the animal equivalents. And, uh, but you know, that I could not imagine running a winery and having to base our production process on animal products or byproducts. And, uh, also our approach to biodynamics and that that's an entire conversation in itself. I don't know if you're familiar with biodynamics, but anyway, uh, it's yeah, uh, kind, kind of, it's, um, it makes sense, but in, in some ways it's, um, some of their methods are pretty far out there, like like burying stuff in, in the ground in is it well, the bull's they, horn or, or something like that that they do? Well there there are many um, there are many things that can be said about it. The um, the the fact is that it sounds very esoteric and in fact in many ways it's uh, more rational than conventional agriculture. Let me give you some examples. Um, you know, I don't know if it's if it's crazier to uh, spray, uh, let's say, herbal teas on plants or toxic substances that are carcinogenic for humans and animals and the environment. And <laughs> you know, when when people ask me, you know, why why we use biodynamic and and how irrational it sounds and how crazy it it seems to be. I say, I always ask them if they don't think it's more irrational to use substances that kill everything that gets exactly. into them, including people who work with them and the people who will eventually consume the products. So, but apart from that, um, there are practices in biodynamics that seem very odd, but actually have a basis. So uh, I guess you're thinking about the cow horn which uh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, don't, yeah. we don't use that. But anyway, I would like to explain the rationale behind that. The, it's a cow horn of a cow that has died of old age, by the way, even, even as prescribed by, by the biodynamic system. 
And this uh, cow horn is filled with manure. Uh, the cow horn is sealed and then it's buried underground. And it sounds like an absurd thing, but what happens is if you leave a sealed container with cow manure uh, buried underground for a few months, what happens is that the, the organisms inside the manure keep feeding on, on it and on everything there is. And in the end, it becomes like a gigantic colony of billions and billions of microorganisms. So uh, it has the, the power and the strength of, uh, say, a few tons of, of normal manure. So what you do is you take this, you take this colony of, of microorganisms, dilute them in water, and then spray them in the fields, and you're basically giving uh, to the soil, giving back the vitality that would come by using tons of manure. And uh, what, what my approach has been, because this in fact makes, makes a lot of sense, it's not as strange as it sounds. Um, what my approach has been is, can we create a colony of microorganisms without using animal manure? And can we do it with green manure? And yes, you can. So that's what we have done and that's what we do. So all of our biodynamic preparations are based on plants as opposed to animal products. And, uh, and uh, they are, of course, uh, you know, some of these preparations are matured underground, some, some in other uh, combinations, but we do them all without using animal parts or animal products. And, um, but the basic idea behind uh, biodynamics is to recreate an environment and an ecosystem that is as close to the original natural environment as it gets. So for instance, the key elements are uh, cover crops, which are, you know, plants and, 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 and other varieties of, of, of vegetables of all kinds that you plant between the rows of vines mm -hmm. in a vineyard. Because as, as we all know, um, um, as we all know, uh, there's no rotation when you have vineyards in all uh, sorts of uh, agriculture, all kinds of agriculture. The healthy thing to do is to uh, rotate cultivations on a seven year or a 15 year basis, as you probably know. But of course, yeah. with vineyards, you can't do it because you plant them and it takes five years for them to even produce the first fruit and eight years to be mature and then 30 years to produce a meaningful uh, product. So you couldn't possibly uproot them and throw them away every year. So what yeah, you, it's, you simulate... It's kind of like an orchard, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what you do is you simulate rotation by planting other things between the rows of vines and replenishing the soil and creating a sort of rotation uh, by adding plants uh, to, to the vineyards that are not that are not vines. And this is fascinating. We plant a, uh, a mix of over 36 different plants between our rows of vines. And, um, and these are uh, aromatic herbs, legumes and cereals and all sorts of plants that all, uh, each one, each and all solve a particular function. So uh, some attract beneficial insects and birds, some repel certain other insects that you don't want around. And, you know, it's, a, it's an entire process that uh, uses uh, nature systems to achieve the results that you want, avoiding the use of any and all chemical products. Right. Now, since I, I know that some people are now probably wondering about this and, and would like to see more. Where, where exactly is Square Chabela located? Chabela is in, is in Chianti Classico, which is uh, a beautiful region between Florence and Siena in Tuscany. So in central Italy. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I used to live in, in Arezzo, which must be pretty close to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, it's barely an hour away. Yeah, lucky you. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful location. Yeah. And uh, so Quechabeta is really in the heart of Tuscany. When, when you think of the uh, beautiful landscape and the rolling hills and the cypress trees and, and the beautiful vineyards and the olive trees, that's exactly what you get. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, do, do you accept 
tours or, or do you have seller seller yeah. door sales? Yes, yes, yes. There are visits. The 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 website has a link to uh, to reserve a private tour and to visit the, the the winery and to taste wines and this and that. So yes, absolutely. So what 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 are your best best sellers, so to speak? Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, what what sorts do you produce? Which one is your best? Oh, you mean the wines? Oh, well, yes. I love I love all of our wines. The and. Um, I, I I would leave it to to visitors to to figure out which one they like best. <laughs> awesome. Now, yes. So so we're not spending the entire interview on on wines. Um, how how connected are your other business ventures to to everything else that you do? Um, because apart, apart you're, from you're also that yes okay. well the mm, some are connected some are not one some of my main activities are in the mergers and acquisitions sector so i bring um large uh asian investors uh to wonderful opportunities in europe or the us and and, and work on that uh, let's say that I create um, connections, business connections between partners that would would not know each other each other if it were not for my introduction. And um, my other business involvements are connected mostly by uh, being guided by my same philosophy, so respect for animals and 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 then respect for for the planet and for human beings. Um, but it's a variety of businesses and, and ventures that uh, really only have me in common and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, at, at this point, I just got to ask, what, what exactly brought you to, to business? How did you get involved with this? Um, what, was it a lifetime passion? Was it your your family that was entrepreneurial well, to, to begin I, with? Yes, they, definitely that. My, my father was a fantastic entrepreneur. I grew up um, in an environment where the, the, um, there was no question that work was um, the key uh, important factor in one's life and that you had to achieve wonderful results. So I just, uh, I just grew up uh, Working and I started my first company when I was 16. And what, uh, what was that? It was a design, a design studio. Okay. And uh, I practiced graphic design for several years and uh, ended up designing uh, innumerable publications, so newspapers and magazines and uh, in books. It was uh, publication design mostly, which. Um, which was a great experience, but it was just the beginning. I did that in my in my early twenties, basically. Yeah, and uh, when when did you become active in actually supporting vegan plant based companies and and moving those along? Well, that that's much more recent. Uh, that happened. That began in two thousand and twelve, and again, it was thanks to Tom Reagan who introduced me to uh, Chris Kerr whom you may know, um, Chris Kerr is... Chris, uh, Chris Kerr was a guest on, on the podcast a couple of months ago. Yeah, he, he's an amazing person to, to talk exactly. to. So he he's actually the one who uh, started talking to me about investing in, uh, in plant-based ventures. And I had not considered that until then because all you could do uh, until uh, he showed me the way was invest in so-called ethical funds that made no returns whatsoever. So it was mm -hmm. not a great inspiration. And so apart from my own winery, which, which of course I, I, I uh, turn into a vegan winery as early as possible, I had not been exposed to other plant-based companies. And uh, Chris inspired me to start investing in Beyond Meat. And then after that, came a series of other ventures and and to this day you know I'm, I'm I explore all of the options with the help of, uh, of a fantastic group of friends who are uh, who think alike and are um, you know vegan investors as well and we explore opportunities all the time I would say 
uh, is probably a, uh, at the very least I have uh, uh, a company presentation on my desk every week. Uh, but that's a very, at the very least. Sometimes I have many more. And so I look at lots of opportunities, consider some, and uh, and as it is in business, I mean, not not all of them are are good ventures or or anyway a right fit for me to invest. Was it? Um, did you become involved with Sea Shepherd before or after? I mean, that's before, absolutely. That was two thousand seven, mm-hmm. and it came to be uh, because I I read about their activities and I contacted. Uh, my very, very good friend, Kim McCoy, who was the executive director at the time. Uh, we just started talking on the phone, became friends. I became involved. And um, and later on, Paul Watson asked me to become a member of the advisory board. And I've been supporting their activities ever since. And I think it's one of the most wonderful organizations in the world because of, of many things, because of what they focus on that because of the um, uh, the amount of success that they have had in actually saving an, an enormous number of animals and, and protecting the oceans, and also because it's one of those organizations which are, which are the only ones that I contribute to that have uh, almost zero overhead. So you know that all the money that you contribute goes into direct actions and into financing uh, active protection of animals and not uh, gigantic advertising campaigns, as is the case in some organizations that I don't support. I mean, they are very visible in in media and in social media as well. But yeah. like you said, I, I would imagine with the kind of activities that they do, mm-hmm. most of the money does go does go into that. But well, actually, actually it's, it's quite different. It's all of the money that is donated the money. to activities. Um, no, no exception. The, every expense to support the organization is actually provided by uh, some of the board members and, and, and in other ways. So every single cent that's donated goes into direct action. No exception. That, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Have you ever been on board with them? No, I have not. I mean, I, I've been on board of the ships when they were in port. I'm, uh, I, I wish I had the time and the courage to join the cruise, but I think they would throw me overboard after two days. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> anyway. Good, but let's, let's go back to um, plant-based investments. Yes. You, you were saying that you go through at least one company overview Per, per week. What's, yes, not me, what exactly not me personally. I mean, some uh, members of my team who are much more patient look at um, documents and, and, and everything related to the companies. But yes, but that's that's about the case. Yeah. Yeah. What, what exactly do you look for when, when you're researching your potential investments? Well, that's a very good question, but um, uh, there isn't a single thing. But what, what attracts me... Um, is when uh, ideas are presented in a clear way. I love dealing with intelligent people. And um, when I see that someone has a good plan, it makes sense, they know how to present it and the numbers make sense, make sense. then I, I, I get excited. I, I'm not a fan of uh, you know nebulous plans where you don't see um, you cannot measure uh, the potential returns and you cannot measure anything in, in, a, in a practical or concrete way. And the reason I am, I am uh, very selective is that I think that we have a responsibility to uh, make sure that we invest in businesses that have the maximum possible impact on the lives of animals. So it's not a matter of investing in you know nice people or kind projects or uh, you know, things that look good, but it's a matter of investing into what can have the, the biggest impact um, on lives, on the lives of animals worldwide. So um, let me give you an example. We were talking about Beyond Meat before. Okay, that's a company that I absolutely adore. Um, for one, the plan has always been very clear. 
we're going to take over the world by substituting meat with plant-based products that are that taste better and are healthier and uh you know have uh not only they have nothing uh you know to envy to the originals they substitute but they uh, provide everyone even those who don't share our choices with a healthier choice and uh, so the plan has always been very clear and ethan brown the chairman of um of beyond meat is someone i really admire and you can see that his, his philosophy is reflected in the way that he handles the company. I am completely allergic to the kind of uh, startup entrepreneurs that exist today that think that the key to being successful is being arrogant, because that's exactly the wrong way to do anything. And when you see Ethan Brown and the kindness he displays and, and, and the, the, how he gets the entire team involved, enthusiastically, but with, uh, you know, profound, uh, modesty and kindness and, and, and remaining grounded. Uh, that's what I love. And that's why the company is so absolutely fantastically successful. And, and by that, uh, you, you may have, uh, I don't know if, have you tried the beyond burger yet? I have not had the, the opportunity because the <laughs> it's, it's simply not available yet where where we've lived for the past five years. So okay. I, I think next time we're in the States, I'm definitely getting my hands yeah. in some. But the the impact that Beyond Burger has had is enormous. It's now distributed nationwide in the US and it's going to get to other countries now. I think Hong Kong and a few other countries are gonna start distributing it soon. And the, the amazing impact is that apparently from the studies that have been made, it's being purchased 80% of the time by people who were going to buy meat. So you have a direct, immediate success in replacing 80% of what these people would have bought with a plant-based product. And I think that's, that's how you measure success. It's a yeah. full, it's it tastes great and this and that. I mean, it's kind of difficult for, for someone like me and probably you to eat because it's too realistic. So I have a difficult time with products yeah. and mimic, uh, uh, you know, I, I know, I know exactly what you mean. I've, I've had vegan substitutes before where I was just, you know what, this tastes amazing, but it tastes too close to to what i remember meat tasting like so yeah for, for someone who's not vegan or for someone who's just transitioning and they're missing the taste that that's the perfect yeah. product and i see it for that but I, yeah. I, I will not personally have it on my plate every single day yeah but back to the point we were making that is exactly why it is successful because yeah. it's not aimed at vegans and vegetarians but it's aimed mm -hmm. at the rest of the population, which is a much larger proportion. <laughs> and, so. and I think that that's a point that any potential vegan entrepreneur should remember that the large majority of potential customers out there are not vegan. Absolutely. And they never will be, by the way. That's that's a sad uh, realization we have to come to. So yeah. the more plant-based products we can put on their plates, the better for, for all of us. Um, but anyway, so the, you were asking what kind of companies I, I, I like. So I, I measure my interest in is, is based primarily on potential impact. And a company is going to have as much as impact as, uh, as it is planned to succeed business-wise. So the numbers have to be impeccable and, and the entire uh, thought process behind it has to be has to be impeccable and if it's not impeccable it can be um you know it can be helped and it can be changed um but if if you want to you know if you want to know some of the traits that i find in startups that i think are positive or negative i'll tell you right away one one thing that to me is is an immediate red flag is when i see a founder or creator of an idea who does not imagine putting herself or himself aside in a short amount of time. 
and and giving the reins to a professional CEO or to professional management. That is an immediate red flag. You see that in business plans where people imagine holding the majority of the shares of their company and remaining the emperor in charge for a lifetime, and I immediately turn away and run because that's the number one mistake. And you know that 90% of startups fail. And, and in most cases, it's now statistically measured. It's because of founders' mistakes. And usually these mistakes happen when they remain at the helm of the company, when they should have given control to someone else. So that's, that's an immediate red flag. Um, positive, this is also statistics, but it's my instinct as well. I favor companies created and run by women. Uh, women are more reliable and, and uh, they make uh, less dangerous choices and and overall I, I, I think you may have read this too but you know you know that uh, statistically it's proven uh, globally that companies run by women are safer and more successful uh, in the long term so that's that's another criteria that I that I use it doesn't mean that I wouldn't invest in companies run by men or run by w women and men together but I, I do favor companies run by women. I find that in general, they are more reliable as business partners as well. That's, um, that's great to know. So besides Lighter, what, what other companies run by women are, are you currently backing or, or involved with? Oh my, okay, that's, that's a good question. There are, there are many things that I've invested in and some that are not uh, actually um, you know, officially known, but anyway, one that I like is um, uh, Global Village Fruit, which is, uh, which is in fact the jackfruit company. Uh, mm -hmm. And then um, there are well, there are others that are are in the in the pipeline right now. Uh, but I have invested, for instance, in Vodkotua. I don't know mm -hmm. if you're with it, but it's uh, oh yeah yeah yeah. Yes. And what, was, was that recent? Because I know that they were just looking for investors a couple of months ago. I invested, you been, I invested been... over a year ago. So okay. Yeah. So early, early. And, uh, yes. And that, that's a fantastic company. I have also invested in a fantastic company, uh, which is, um, based here in Europe, uh, called Nemanti which used to be called Opificio V. And this is the, the manufacturer of the most beautiful vegan shoes I've ever seen on the planet. So it's run by an Italian woman, very talented and uh, extremely intelligent, who decided that um, the way to go about making vegan shoes successful is to bring them to the quality level of the most um, coveted and expensive shoes in the world. And she has done that. So she, she has designed and created um, shoes for men and women, which are completely plant-based. And in fact, the range of innovations that she has brought is, is unbelievable. Uh, she um, has um, uh, had manufacturers in Italy produce fake letters, which are cereal-based or uh, plant-based uh, in general, as opposed to being oil-based, which I think mm -hmm. is a fantastic innovation. And there are some shoes that are actually manufactured using uh, the thinnest layers possible of wood, which you would never think is wood. It looks like uh, it looks like leather, but it's in fact uh, wood that is worked in a very special way. Anyway, there, the amount of innovations that she has brought in um, in creating just uh, you know, a range of products that, uh, you know, what some could consider banal is incredible because the idea is not only you're substituting leather for all the good reasons we know, but you're also, for the most part, not using petroleum-based substitutes, which I think is a fantastic step in the right direction. Oh, and by the way, I'm not talking about um, you know, materials that dissolve or, or are destroyed in two seconds or this and that. I'm talking about the most beautiful, incredible, elegant shoes anyone has ever seen. Uh, the enthusiasm that I've seen among the friends that I brought this, these products to is, is incredible. 
Yeah, and just since you're mentioning plant-based leathers, you know, I was yes. doing some research the other day and the the animal-based leather industry is about $70 billion big and the um, artificial leathers are actually very close behind at, at $60 billion, but that, of course, includes oil-based leathers too. But the projection is that this is going to grow to... 200 billion within yes. the next decade so oh. I, I think the potential for for plant-based leathers is is just incredible right now yeah. and let's let's not forget something i i agree with you and 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 it's amazing and i'm and i'm happy that we're seeing plant-based leathers as well you might have seen the pineapple based leather and some mm -hmm. but let's never forget that even a petroleum-based uh, leather is less polluting than animal-based leather. Yeah. In any case, no matter how you look at it, there's no comparison. Uh, animal-based leather, even if we forgot the suffering the animals go through to obtain this horrible product, it's one of the most polluting and dangerous products in the world, and especially damaging to everyone involved in manufacturing of the product. Uh, the leather industry denies this and says that now they use known toxic procedures. And the truth is that they have outsourced to uh, uh, underdeveloped countries all the toxic uh, parts of the manufacturing. And then they import a product that is already rid of the toxic part because they left them behind uh, in, in a country that does not have regulations against them. Yeah, and, and the consequences of that are just, it, it's appalling to see what it does to, to the environment. Well, the animals, of course, are at, at the base of it, but what it does to the environment, what it does to the people involved with, with the process, that's just horrific. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but um, another thing about these plant-based leathers and the pineapple leather and all that and since you mentioned that one of the things that you pay attention to when you are looking at potential investments are numbers mm -hmm. um what what do you see as you know having potential in in the plant-based leather space because i know that a lot of these solutions that you mentioned are they sound very good and they look very exciting, but right now their their biggest issue is the the cost per per unit. The costs well, are, it, are very you're, high. It, and you're talking about the plant based leathers. Yeah. Well, I I I don't know if I agree with that. I I know that the um, we uh, in for instance in our in our shoe company Nemanti we. Um, we look at the cost of materials and there isn't a big difference between uh, plant-based leathers and petroleum-based uh, fake leathers. So it's not, not such a big distance and I think it can be overcome very quickly. If you think about it, if you can, if you can figure out a way to produce um, uh, fake leather from plants that you can grow in a field and these are not perennials and these are not trees and these are not... Uh, you know, it, it's cereals that are not destined for human consumption. So it's it's um, it's such an easier way to produce um, mm -hmm. raw materials. And of course, it's it's eventually going to be much less expensive than petroleum, no doubt. Well, that that's good to know. But yeah. um, okay, if if we stay with the numbers just for a little bit, I have another interesting sure. question for you. Um, Exactly what's, what stage and size and role do you play with with the companies that you back? Because the, if, there if you're looking a, there at numbers. A, yeah, but yeah, there isn't a fixed rule, but in general, I, um, I love entering companies at seed stage at the very, very beginning. I, I'm not interested in... in, in uh, in investing in later stages. So I look at companies that are barely happening, barely been created, or just, you know, in the conception stage. And I love to to help from there. So I, I'm particularly keen on, uh, you know, the helping structure companies uh, from the incorporation standpoint and, and 
you know, there's a better jurisdiction for every possible business uh, to be in, and there are better ways to organize production depending on what you do, and then all of these, uh, you know, concerns uh, are of a geographical and strategic nature are very interesting to me. Much more interested in that than uh, in coming in a little later stage when you know once the numbers are all set and and the path is traced and everything is clear, because that's less adventurous and less exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get you. So when when you're talking numbers, it's not actual revenue results, but more so the the potential and how the company is structured. And yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. that, that's a very that's a very good uh, very good point. I'm not looking at the current results, but I'm looking at projected results. And um, yes, so that that's a that's a very good point. Yeah, and I'm I'm also interested in helping uh, new entrepreneurs who want to launch into the world of of uh, you know impact investment and and, and impact production. And uh, and sometimes have fantastic ideas, but don't have the means to make this idea happen. So it's a beautiful it's a beautiful way to approach this. Have you in in all your time as as a businessman and specifically as as a plan based investor, have you run into any really big obstacles that you'd be comfortable sharing here? Um, I would say that that happens every single day and i don't know if i you know if, if more than sharing specific experiences what i'd like to uh, share with everyone who wants to venture into um you know entrepreneurship and creating companies or financing companies or investing is that um any problem that you see in the beginning no matter how small, is going to become a bigger problem. It's not going to go away. And number two, um, the key element of everything uh, that we invest in and then one can be involved in is people. So if you have doubts about the people, if there's anything that does not compute or anything that you consider a flaw or any sort of disagreement that you perceive in the beginning, it's only going to get worse. So don't expect people to get better. And if you have any doubts, you know, if it's a great idea, but you think it's run by the wrong people, don't get involved. That That's really, really valuable advice. Because I, I, I think that's, that, that's a very common mistake in, in business when people get too fixated on something. Well, it, it's not just in business, it's it's in personal life as well. When when we get too fixated on something, when when we see things the way we wish them to be instead of how they, they actually are, we tend to make the, the wrong choices. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me, we, we've spent almost an hour now just building up your um, business expertise and talking about what you do. I would like to know what what is it that drives you? What is it that gets you out of bed in the morning and gives you the inspiration for the things that you're doing? Well, the there are two things. One is I'm, I'm a family person and I, I adore my family and I work for my family, for my wife and my children. Um, and that's what drives me in general. That gives me the energy to do everything I do. And then um, everything I do is, is guided by my ethical principles in, in every possible venture. Uh, that's at the center of everything. And again, that's something that is very important to me uh, because of my children. I want them to know and to see that what I do is, is ethical and that we can be successful and uh, and have a very productive life, uh, especially because we consider everybody else and we give great consideration to other beings suffering and needs and, and aspirations. So being kind to animals and to humans is key uh, to being successful. So what, what drives me is knowing that I can 
lead a positive, constructive, uh, successful life without uh, contravening my, my basic life principles. Beautiful. I, I love that. Now, just because we're wrapping this up now, mm -hmm. what, what products or, or even technologies that are coming out now or are coming out in the future you do you find most interesting what what is it that really gets you excited about the future well i i see i see um a lot of innovations in the food sector of course and uh, i think that we are more and more um achieving results that were unthinkable before i i recently tried for the first time, uh, Miyoko's Kitchen's butter. I don't know if you've had the chance to try that, but it's a plant-based butter that not only is indistinguishable from real butter, it's much better, of course, and it's 100% plant-based. So I'm fascinated on one side by all the innovations in the food sector because those are uh, bring the biggest impact and the biggest change. Uh, on the other hand, I'm fascinated by uh, technological changes that make people's lives better and at the same time uh, push, you know, our, our vision of life where uh, you do less harm possible. So uh, you mentioned LIDAR before, this extraordinary platform that helps people get healthy and have better nutrition and feed their families and and it all happens in, with the best software ever. And at the same time, you're saving uh, millions of animals because you're, you're shifting uh, everybody's consumption into uh, the opposite direction. So it's, uh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I, I think I need to speak to, to Micah and, and Alexis very soon because the, the things that I know about Lighter, um, it just makes me want to know even more about what exactly is behind it because I was okay. talking to I was talking to David Young a couple of months yes. ago and mm -hmm. he was saying he was talking about bringing them to bringing lighter to to Hong Kong mm -hmm. and yeah I'm I'm really interested to see what kind of impact they can do there. With, oh, I, I'm, with I'm sure it software. will work well. It's. Uh... It's a brilliant combination. That's that's a company that that is brilliantly uh, was brilliantly created, founded, and is managed by women uh, among the most intelligent people I've ever met. And the this software and the ideas behind it are so well uh, conceived and executed that you'll be you'll be surprised. Um, there are many ways to approach the same kind of business, but this, this is really uh, at a quality level that, that hasn't been seen before. Yeah. So that's, that's, um, that's a good example. So that was the first part of the future question. Now, the second part is a bit more personal and it's what, what kind of future are you helping build? What is your vision for the best case scenario? of what we are doing right now, what, what is it going to be like in the next decades if this keeps on going? Well, my, my, the, the future that I imagine is a future that does a, completely does away with uh, factory farming and, and renounces the idea that you have to torture and kill animals to, to produce food or anything else. And, uh, and we are getting uh, so much closer to that and so much faster than anyone imagined it's it's quite surprising but it's happening now uh, if you had asked me um, a few years ago um, you know I, I would have thought the process would take much longer time and now the the progression is geometric it's fantastic so yeah it's gonna keep going at this pace and I, I dare to think that my children will see a world where animals are not used and abused for food anymore uh, and where people will see reason. Uh, you know, dramatic changes and historical changes have happening uh, during the past uh, 
you know, a few decades. And we would not have expected that to, to take place, but it does. Uh, sometimes history just changes and turns a corner in a very sharp way. And, uh, and a big change happens quicker than anyone imagined. Yeah, I, I think the, the internet was one of those instances where I don't think anyone foresaw the the information age coming on so fast as it did. And the, what what you said about the growth being geometric now, I think we're past critical mass. And right now, it's just gonna keep growing at a rate that we're we we haven't seen before. Yes, it, it simply wasn't there before. Yeah, I I agree with you. Great. Oh, Sebastiano, we're closing this off and I just, the last question I have for you is what's the best way for people who want to know even more about you and about what you do and the businesses that you, you back, where, where should they head to? Um, the, there isn't too much, uh, public information because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm quite of a private investor, uh, but, um, uh, my LinkedIn profile has information about some of the companies that I invest in. And for entrepreneurs who would like to be taken into consideration, there's, uh, there's an email address, which is info at nkgb.ch, which I will provide you um, to put on the, on, on the page where you publish the interview so that people can contact that in case they have some uh, fantastic, brilliant, plant-based ideas that they would like to share with us. That would be very, very appreciated by many, I'm, I'm sure. Wonderful. Great. Now, Sebastian, by, by any chance, are, are you planning on writing or having written uh, a biography or of your life? Not, not at all. To, <laughs> not, not at all. You're, you're keeping it private. I, I, I think it would be an excellent book. <laughs> well, but, um, I thank you for that, but I <laughs> no, I'm way too private to even imagine <laughs> something like that. And I, um, if I if I plan to write anything, it would be a very long uh, thank you note to all the fantastic friends who have inspired me over the years, and and uh, and helped me realize some of my plans and inspired me to go forward. And there's so many that would need an entire book. Well, that that's great. Hey, thank you so much for for taking the time and for sharing what what you did today. I think that was a lot of great information for anyone who is looking into starting anything in the plant based space Wonderful. or just thinking about it. So yeah, thank you so much for joining me today, Sebastiano. Thank you very much. Thank you, yeah. dear. It was a great pleasure. Thank you. Have an amazing day. Thank you. Right. Okay, that was Sebastiano Cosia Castiglione in episode 19 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show sharing his path and his approach to business and investing in the plant-based space. If you weren't taking notes, don't worry because we do it for you. You can find all the details and all the links to the people and brands we discussed today on theplantbasedentrepreneur.com forward slash show forward slash episode 019. And if there's anything you want to share with me about this episode or about any other, if you have any suggestions or comments regarding the show, just hit me up and send me an email on jerry at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com. You can also connect with me on Instagram at jerry underscore saver for your daily dose of plant-based inspiration and to see what's coming next in the show. And if you're listening to this on iTunes, I would really love for you to leave a review and share what you think of the podcast. Now, this is all for today. I'll catch you again real soon. Until then, stay amazing. And remember, the future is plant-based.